The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus' I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of His Word, the Bible. In the previous nine episodes, we began a journey to deepen our understanding of Jesus' I Am statements found within the New Testament. It is my contention that these various statements, when viewed properly, clearly draw a straight line identifying Jesus' divinity and recognition as the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, the Lord of life, and the King of Kings. 
In episodes 1 and 2, we completed a search of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, along with a survey of the Old Testament in Hebrew, as well as the Septuagint Greek regarding God's revelation to Moses and, by extension, to his people of God's character or name. In part three, we began our survey in earnest with a study of Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 22 regarding Jesus' I am statements under oath to the high priest during his trial. In part four, we looked at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter four. In part five, we began to look at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and his walking on the Sea of Galilee. In part six, we continued to examine John 6, where Jesus and his disciples land at Capernaum, where Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. In part seven, we took a side road and looked at John 7, where Jesus used the event of the Feast of Tabernacles and the water drawing ceremony to proclaim that he was Messiah and to invite believers saying, quote, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, unquote. In episode eight, we looked at chapter eight with the temple lighting ceremony and Jesus' statement saying, quote, I am the light of the world, unquote. We also saw in chapter 8, Jesus make the axiomatical, logical statement that salvation versus dying in one's sins is contingent on whether or not we have faith in the reality of Jesus' identity as I am. In part 9, we looked at John chapter 8, wherein Jesus says, quote, before Abraham was, I am, unquote. In this episode, we continue with John chapter 10. In order to place chapter 10 and our subject matter into context, we need to look at John chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1, picks up where John chapter 8 ends. As you will recall, Jesus has been teaching in the temple in chapter 8, as was his custom. Jesus and the Jews get into a debate over Abraham, and after Jesus declares that, quote, before Abraham was, I am, unquote, the Jews take up stones to stone Jesus. However, Jesus leaves the incident unharmed. Immediately following, in John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, we continue, quote, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Unquote. In verses 3 through 5, Jesus answers, quote, Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is the day. 
The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." Unquote. Here, as in the case of Lazarus who had died, this man's blindness was not a result of his or his parents' sin, per se. Instead, as in the case of Lazarus, this man's blindness was for the purpose that God might be glorified. Verses 6 through 14 continue, quote, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. They said unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes." Unquote. Once again, as with several other occasions, Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. While the Pharisees would have been upset regardless, the fact that Jesus broke the tradition and healed on the Sabbath only served to give the Pharisees more cause to be upset. In verses 15 through 23, the Pharisees began to argue with the man healed. Quote, then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I, and wa and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that opened thine eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that he had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom ye say was born blind? Uh, how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, well, we, know, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth? We know not. Or who, or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. 
These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Unquote. So here, essentially, because the Pharisees had so confused the meaning and purpose of the Sabbath, i.e. the day of rest, their tradition had now caused them to believe that God himself was prohibited from doing anything on the Sabbath which could help his creation. Because Jesus had, in fact, rescued this man from blindness on the Sabbath, they reasoned that he could not be sanctioned by God. On the other hand, the Pharisees needed to find some explanation for this man's healing, which would also prevent Jesus from taking credit. After one round of questioning with the man and his parents, the Pharisees are unsatisfied. So, they start another round of questions in verses 24 through 34. Quote, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out." Unquote. Apparently, today's cancel culture has nothing on the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Essentially, anyone who did not agree with and parrot the narrative of the Pharisees was censured, labeled as a sinner, thrown out of the synagogue, and shunned from all the crowd in society. You were either a Pharisee who towed the political-religious party line, or you were ostracized for your audacity to exercise free thought and speech. I guess some things never change. Anyway, in verses 35 through 41, we find out what happens once the healed blind man is now excommunicated from the synagogue. 
quote, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth." Unquote. So here Jesus moves from the healing of this man's physical blindness to healing of the man's spiritual blindness. The man is ready to believe in the Messiah, the Son of God. The man seems to be expectantly waiting and simply needs to know who the Messiah is. Jesus plainly reveals the fact that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. The man then worships Jesus by prostrating to him. Thus, by virtue of the fact that Jesus heals the man's blindness, reveals that he is the Son of God and Messiah, and receives worship, Jesus clearly proclaims his deity for all to see. The problem is that unlike this man who was blind and now sees, the Pharisees and others remain blind despite seeing and hearing. Jesus points out that if they were blind, they would have an excuse. But because they are not, they have no excuse. At this point, we move to John chapter 10, which is close in time to the previous incident. Now, on this chapter, Jesus immediately begins his dialogue with a parable. The parable in question draws heavily from the Jewish culture involving sheep. In order to understand Jesus' parable, we need to acquaint ourselves with this culture, which the Jews in Jesus' day would have been already familiar with. So, to begin with, we need to learn about sheep in general. Looking at domesticated animals, sheep are generally the most helpless. Sheep spend their entire day grazing and wandering from place to place, never looking upwards. Sheep easily and often become lost and have no homing instinct. Sheep are utterly helpless against predators and as a result must be guarded or placed into an enclosure such as a sheepfold for protection. Sheep are totally incapable of finding their own way to their sheepfold even when, even when it is in plain sight and if a wolf enters the pen, they won't defend themselves. Sheep are totally dependent upon the shepherd who tends them. 
Sheep are followers, and they are easily susceptible to injuries. And finally, sheep fear moving water and will not drink from any stream or lake unless the water is perfectly still. The word sheep is used some 187 times in Scripture in various places. Because of God's reference to sheep in this sacrificial system, as well as the role of a shepherd in the Hebrew economy, Virtually every Jewish person would have understood Jesus' comments. Even before the Christian era, the various roles and aspects of sheep and the shepherd found clear parallels to the relationship between God and his people. As redeemed people with discernment, it is not difficult to look at the various characteristics of sheep just listed and see some of the same characteristics within ourselves. For example, most famously, David most eloquently sets out the classic set of metaphors in Psalm chapter 23. Quote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Unquote. This and many other passages make the clear analogy between God as the shepherd and God's elect or the redeemed as his sheep. Since Jesus is God, it is only natural for him to identify himself as the shepherd. Further, in John 10, Jesus' parable makes reference to several specifics of sheep herding, which we need to familiarize ourselves with. As stated, sheep were natural and easy targets for wolves and other predators. Sheep would also wander off and get lost. Consequently, it was necessary to place sheep into an enclosure called a sheepfold, particularly at night, to protect them. In the open country or rural areas, a sheepfold was often a simple, crude enclosure of rocks or other materials with a singular opening. Because there was usually no gate or door to the enclosure, the shepherd himself would sit or lay their body in the opening and thus create a barrier, a door, out of their body. In the city or urban areas, the sheepfold was usually more sophisticated. It was not uncommon that more than one shepherd or flock would use the same sheepfold. 
As a result, there would be enough demand to allow for hiring a porter whose job was to guard the sheep on behalf of the shepherd or shepherds. With this information in hand, we are now ready to read Jesus' parable in John 10. Quote, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them." Unquote. So here, Jesus is still discoursing with the Pharisees and giving them and us an explanation as to why they and others fail to respond to Jesus' proclamations and revelations of himself as Messiah and God, while others, like the healed blind man, hear his voice. Firstly, only Jesus, as God, has the right and authority, as the shepherd, to enter the sheepfold for his chosen sheep. Anyone else does not have the authority, and thus they are a robber or a thief. A true and diligent porter is not going to allow entrance to anyone other than the one who has the authority to enter, and who in fact has ownership of the sheep. Only those whom God the Father has called and drawn to himself and who have been purchased by the shepherd, i.e. God the Son, will respond to his voice because they have a relationship. God's elect know God's voice in the same way as sheep will respond only to their true shepherd because of that relationship. The true sheep follow the true shepherd, and anyone else the sheep flee from because they are strangers. Given that these Pharisees were not his sheep, they did not understand. In verses 7 through 18, Jesus again connects the parable involving the cultural, historical type of the sheep and the shepherd to his identity as the I am. Quote, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am, ego I may, the door of the sheep. Unquote. That is, Jesus, the existing one, the one who is, the I will exist because I will exist, I exist because I exist, I am who I am. I am that I am, I will be who I will be, or I am that which exists is the door, the only way whereby there is entrance for his sheep. 
If you are not his sheep, you are a goat. Continuing with verse 8, quote, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am, ego I may, the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am, ego I may, the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catches them, and, the scatter, and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am, ego I may, the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father." Unquote. So, in terms of salvation, Jesus is the only door, the only way, the only mechanism whereby people go from sin, death, and eternal separation from God to being sheep who have fellowship, a relationship, and eternal life. All those before, during, or after who attempt by any means to substitute another way to enter are thieves and robbers. They are thieves and robbers not only because they attempt to take that which does not belong to them, but also because by substituting another way, they rob God of the glory which is due to Him alone. Ultimately, thieves and robbers are not truly interested in the welfare of the sheep. They are only concerned with their own interests. Unlike the hireling, Jesus will and did ultimately give his, his life for his sheep. The quote-unquote other sheep reference is not an allusion to some cult group or elite Gnostic sect. In this context, the quote-unquote other sheep is simply the Gentiles, who God is at that time yet intent on grafting into adoption as being his people, his sheep, and who are not of Jewish stock. In verses 19 through 21, we read the divided reaction. 
Quote, there was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings, and many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Unquote? Verses 22 through 24 continue. Quote, and it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him, and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Unquote. Now, the feast of dedication is in fact Hanukkah, so the time frame here would be late November to early December. Solomon's porch, or Solomon's colonnade, is a structure that was on the east side of the temple which was covered with a roof and where it was customary for rabbis to teach. As Jesus arrives here to teach, the Jews gather and ask him to tell them even more plainly than he had been, than he had been that he was in fact the Messiah. In verses 25 through 30, Jesus responds, quote, Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." Unquote. So the issue was not that Jesus lacked clarity or specificity as to his identity. The issue, the issue was and is that those then and now who don't believe fail to believe because they are not Jesus' sheep. Faith and belief in Jesus ultimately have nothing to do with a sufficiency of information, facts, evidence, or proof. Instead, ultimately, belief and faith are an act of God's sovereign grace and mercy, which he moves on our heart and opens our eyes. Without this, the hearing his voice and the following and the status of being his sheep are impossible. Once God makes this adoption choice effective, there is no force or power which can change the status. Thus, we are chosen by God the Father, purchased by God the Son, and sealed by God the Holy Spirit, blessed God, three in one. In verses 31 through 33, Jesus' declaration that, quote, I and the Father are one, unquote, launches a reaction from the Jews. Quote, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, 
Many good works have I shown you from the Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou art be, and because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Unquote. So clearly, the Jews understood that Jesus was equating himself with God. The issue was that Jesus was both 100% God and 100% man. The Jews were seeing and conversing with a mortal man, and they could not conceive of any mortal man being God. But this is the point of the incarnation. But this is the point of the incarnation. In order for there to be a way by which mortal man can be reconciled to God, God must become mortal man and fulfill all righteousness 100% satisfactorily and perfectly before God. God can then, by His grace, impute His righteousness, which He shares with His Son, to those whom he chooses by faith in the person and completed works of his son. This concludes this episode. Please join me for part 11. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com Thank you for listening.